Remind me to show you the rave horse after this. A rave horse? It's like, it's an Olympic, one of the Olympic dressage routines. They did it to like this EDM song and someone on TikTok called it the rave horse. Is that and against like the viral. Humane Society? No, no, no. Don't it's... take a horse to a rave. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be a terrible guest. Don't give the horse Molly. Come on. <laughs> no, the horse is fine. The horse <laughs> was having a great time. They did a great job. I, it was, it was really great. I'm yeah. proud of it. Did it win gold? Um, I don't think so. No, it's okay. It did it. It's ha- it but had fun. They it did didn't their know. Best. It's not like the horse knows. <laughs> just... I think the horse's name is Mopsy. Isn't that cute? Mopsy. Mopsy. <laughs> we want to go to a rave, Mopsy. Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Welcome to the Insomnia Report, episode 42. Whoop whoop. Meeting of life. I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. And we are the two friends and roommates that like to talk about the things that keep us up at night. night. We have a classroom report to all of you. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for listening. It's been a minute, huh? It has been so long. It's been many minutes. Since we recorded, we took a little hiatus. We were traveling. Yeah. So, yeah. But we're back and... We're back at it. It's awesome. I've never been to a rave. I haven't either. Yeah, I remember people in high school talked about, like, raves they went to. I'm like, why? People went to raves in high school? Oh, yeah. I heard about it all the time. (laughs) Do they have those, like, light-up gloves? Yeah. Um, two of my ex-boyfriends have been glovers. <laughs> Is that really what they're called? I don't know. I don't think so, but, like... It's weird. Whatever. Teach their own. Rave gloves. Rave gloves. Glovers. Oh, dear. Oh, okay. All right. I'll light the candle. Mm. Would you like to tell me what's been up? It's been so long. I- I'm surely oh, you have gosh. something in mind. <laughs> Well, yeah, I do. Well, so, yeah, life update. I went to Minnesota to visit Kirsten. Shout out to Kirsten. Yay. We had fun. Thanks for hosting. I had fun once. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a very long time ago. Yeah, and now we're back. Well, the thing that's been keeping me up, which I'm sure has been keeping you up and mm-hmm. and thousands of other people, is the last episode of The Bachelorette. Um, such a roller coaster of emotions yeah. one minute elizabeth and i were like clutching our hearts and like crying happy tears and then the next moment we were watching a train wreck it was one of the worst things i've ever seen it was so uncomfortable yeah to, to experience i felt very uncomfortable the whole time and yeah. i couldn't do anything about it i know i mean we could have turned it off but i wouldn't have done that yeah like i don't really get how people are picking sides if you don't watch the bachelorette greg who was our number one, I think it's fair to say. Oh, yeah. Kind of, like, blew up him and Katie. They kind of, like, they had a huge fight, and it was horrible, and he left. It was so. it was a terrible elapse of 
miscommunication Mm -hmm. and you both know that they wanted to tell the other person but like it just wasn't happening Mm -hmm. i wish they had time to like sit and process or like a couple days later be alone together Mm -hmm. but i saw this theory online that greg was insecure and he wanted to kind of have katie pull a claire before fantasy suites oh yeah because it'd be horrible to like have if you are going to get engaged with someone like to have to sit through them like also like having a yeah. fantasy suite with another person so i think that's why he reacted mm-hmm. anyway no that makes sense that makes sense I it's mean, just that's horrible yeah i feel like 20 years from now we'll get psychologists will be like why did we let this happen this is like all these people are traumatized <laughs> right it, that always seems to happen on this show yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, what about you? Um, well, I went to Florida <laughs> to visit family, and Elizabeth already knows this, but I thought centipedes were bad, but there was a little critter in my room one night, and it was a scorpion, and it was the worst night I've had in a long time because <laughs> I don't know how to handle scorpions. I come in from the bathroom and I see something on the floor and I, at first I thought it was like a fuzzball or something. What is that? Is that a bug? And I'm like, oh my God, it has pinchers. I'm like, that's a scorpion. So then I jumped on my bed oh my and God. I texted Elizabeth. I'm like, what do I do? She's like, do you have a knife? I'm like, I don't want to like ruin the floor. <laughs> She's like, do you have scissors? And then my grandma was asleep and I didn't want to wake her. So then I called my mom and she's like, I don't know what to do. Like, call your dad. He's been to the desert before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have scorpions. Well, they have scorpions in the desert or whatever. And she's like, just make sure you check before you put shoes on because I've heard at dude ranches, people will put on their cowboy boots and there will be a scorpion. I'm like, oh my God. And then I called my dad and brother and they were absolutely no help. They're like, oh, just, just deal with it. Just go to bed. It won't bother you. And I'm like, I can't go to bed. But I did. Anyway. I'm proud of you. We don't have those in Chicago. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a live scorpion, like, no. in the wild. They move like centipedes because they have, like, a lot of legs. Ah, uh, no. I think they're, like, arachnids. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Maybe he just wanted to say hello. He's <laughs> like, good day, madam. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> All scorpions are British. <laughs> nice. That smells very sulfury. You ready? Yeah. Ooh. School me. All right. Well, I was going to do a story and it was very sad and I did not have the mental capacity oh. to do it today. So I switched gears. Okay. And this is really not something you would learn about in school unless you like went to Hogwarts. Ooh. So bear with me. It's, it's not really like a... <clears throat> we could pretend we're at Hogwarts. Okay. <laughs> it's Leviosa. What house would you be in again? Probably Hufflepuff. Yeah. They're loyal and friendly, you know? Like, we need more of those. But, you know, they're they're also like the redheaded stepchild, you know? Like, (laughs) Ravenclaw is smart. You're like, you have all, you would be in Ravenclaw. They're all the smart, intelligent people. And then, you know, Gryffindor, they're like brave and really like adventurous and stuff. Gryffindors seem kind of like dumbasses, like annoying. Yeah. Like, kind of. Well, Harry was whiny, and he yeah. wouldn't have gotten far without his friends. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing I've ever heard is, you know, Harry Potter is just a trust fund jock that marries his high school sweetheart and becomes a jock. And I'm like, well, that and ruined everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. He became a police officer and married his high school sweetheart. I'm like, well, <laughs> that ruined it for me. <laughs> oh, no. And then Slytherin are oh. all the like, well, they're assholes. But, you know, like Hufflepuff. It's, yeah. There's no like main Hufflepuff characters. 
you know. They're underappreciated for sure. Cedric Diggory was a Hufflepuff, and you know what happened to him? Oh, he yeah. died. Was Gilderoy Lockhart a Hufflepuff? I think he was a Ravenclaw. Oh, shoot. Uh, Bilbo Bagnon was a Hufflepuff, I think. Bil- Bilbo Baggins is a Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> <laughs> Ludo Bagman is what I meant. Who? He wasn't in the movies, but he was in... Oh, <laughs> I need to reread the books, I guess. Well, that was my quarantine project, remember? I was yeah. going to see how many times I could get through the series. And I'm like, well, the pandemic's not ending, <laughs> so I'm just going to stop this. Yeah. Okay. So we're at Hogwarts. What would be your favorite class? It's hard to say. I feel like charms would be fun. I would like just, charms. Like learn spells all the time. Right. Maybe history of magic. I don't know. What, what would yours be? Well, I think charms for sure. I like defense against the dark arts, but I feel like that'd be like gym class and like all the Gryffindors <laughs> would try really hard and I'd just be like, oh my God, it's not that serious. <laughs> the Wizard and War ended years ago. <laughs> like, Same. Get over your stuff. To be honest. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> care of magical creatures would be cool because i love oh, hagrid cool. and that would be dope because we're muggles you know muggle born divination would be cool the grim the grim no because i'm interested in that <gasps> yeah but, no like, that would be really it would cool. be fun to take or muggle studies would be cool to take oh, yeah. like to learn it on their perspective like an outsider perspective i would just love school school would be great and oh my god the food they had yeah or the magical plant class, whatever that's Herbology? Called. Herbology. Thank you. <laughs> no. Yes, I would love that. I would love that. You love ma- magic plants. I like plants. <laughs> she does. And herbs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. For sure. All righty. All righty. Well. <laughs> now that we've established that. Now that we've established that. Yeah, so not a traditional classroom topic. So this would not be taught in our high school. Okay. As we know from previous episodes... The Victorian era was quite the time, pretty strange time, I'd say. If you can recall, hobbies included eating poison to look sickly because that was the aesthetic that people were going for, or making little taxidermy scenes like cat croquet or rabbit school. (laughs) If that didn't interest you, you're in luck because spiritualism was on the rise. Ooh. So according to... Britannica, by definition, spiritualism is a movement based on the belief that departed souls can interact with the living. So spiritualists sought to make contact with dead, usually through the assistance of a medium, which is a person believed to have the ability to contact spirits directly. So some branches of this include alchemy, transfiguration, astrology, and this has been around for centuries. Uh, stories of visions of the future, um, being in trances, levitation, possession, the witch trials, what have you, like that has always been around. Mm-hmm. And for a while before spiritualism, it always had a bad rap. And spiritualism was the first time it was actually seen as, oh, this is interesting. Or, you know, you're not a witch if you want to talk to someone from the other side. Like, oh my god, let's be dangerous, you know? (laughs) I think it's fair to say that people have always been interested in what comes next or what will happen after we die or trying to find answers to the supernatural. And in more modern spiritualism, it includes seances, table turning, palm reading, tarot cards, and so on. So the popularity can be pinned around the 1840s 
when there was a family in Hydesville, New York, and they moved into a farmhouse that no one wanted to live in because it was reported to be haunted. So there was a mother and father, and they had three daughters, Leah, who was the oldest, and then Maggie and Katie, who are each four years apart. So at the time they moved in there, Leah was actually not living with the family. They would later be known as the Fox Sisters, who are credited to being the key factors into the rise of the spiritualism movement. So the family was believed to have a gift of foresight, being able to predict future events even before they moved into the house. So family members, you know, I guess were sensitive. Sure enough, the family moved in and they started having strange activity, including rapping, knockings, or furniture would move around. Spooky. Spooky. I swear it's not a paranormal story. Uh, well, Are you sure? I'm not, but okay. I, I'm teaching you. I, okay. No, no. I'm, um, <laughs> it's not a criticism. I love a paranormal story. No, I do too. The sisters decided to determine a way to communicate with the taps to figure out what was going on. So they asked what they called, they called it. They ca- referred it to it That's or creepy. as it. I don't like that. They're like, okay, so we're going to try talking to it. Does Stephen King have to sleep with the lights on? Like, how does his brain work? He's probably so used to it by now. Right? Like, how does it? Okay. I don't don't know. I would think so. Kate and Maggie uh, decided to figure out a way to communicate with it. So they first asked if it could knock for each of their ages, and it was able to do so. So it was able to knock the amount of times that each of them were, like, Whoa. separately. So they were like, all right, so this is an intelligent entity, because as we know, there's intelligent spirits and there's residual. So it did it correctly, and then they would test other things, like they would snap their fingers, and then they would ask it to play back, like, how many times they snapped. So if you snapped four times, they would hear four knocks. So, I mean, I would never, I would be like, no, I don't want, yeah, no, I don't want this rapport. Like, (laughs) you can live here, just leave me alone. So, the girls were able to figure out different ways to communicate with the tapping. So, they would determine different taps would mean yes or no. And they were able to figure out some sort of code to determine letters of the alphabet. So, like, could you imagine if they had to use, like, two Zs in a row and they had to wait for, like, 26, oh my <laughs> like, God. knocks? And it's like, wait, I lost count. Can you do <laughs> Like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Pizza? <laughs> anyway, that would take forever. So I don't want to get too much into the Fox sisters because that is a very long story for another day. Mm-hmm. But they essentially gained popularity by using these methods and becoming well-known mediums. In the 1860s, following the Civil War, spiritualism was at an all-time high, largely because, as we know, the Civil War brought a large casualty rate. And people wanted to speak to their family members or their loved ones. Isn't that sad? And as we know, back then they did not have the medicine we have today, obviously. So mortality was a lot more common. Uh, The average lifespan was 50. Wow. Women died in childbirth. Children died of diseases. There weren't the vaccinations. Mm. Men died in the war. And so, you know, people wanted to speak to those that had departed to make sure they're okay, to see, you know, what's going on. 
And, you know, I, I think we've touched on it, but there were things like called dumb suppers and people would want to figure out like, who are they going to marry? Like, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't have TV. <laughs> they could entertain themselves somehow. <laughs> it's like, all right, Satan. <laughs> like, hey, it's been a while. <laughs> So it became so popular that, as you may recall from previous episodes, Mary Todd Lincoln was a big fan of seances, and, uh, you know, Abe even attended some of them in the White House. That's so metal. I know, right? (laughs) People would have seances in the parlor and invite family and friends as if it was like, you know, pizza night. Or it's like, oh, you want to come over for Bachelor Monday? And it's like, oh, you want to come over for Macrame Monday? Like, I don't know. While this type of practice is not as common as they were 150 years ago, you know, if we were to say, oh, yeah, we're going to have a seance, people would look at us like we're crazy. Right. But, like, why not, you know? But there is something that is still around and is used today, and many people know about it. Do you know what it is? Is it an Ouija board? Yes, that's right. You know it. You Uh, love it. You fear it. Today's guest of honor (laughs) is the Ouija board. Oh, gosh. Okay. So the Ouija board was invented officially in 1886. So the actual inventor of it is up for debate, but it's credited to either E.C. Ritchie, while others say it was a man named Charles Kennard. The most common belief is Ritchie sold his invention to Kennard, though it's hard to know for sure because it kind of turns into a he said, she said situation because Richie says like his idea was stolen. Mm. And that was according to an article from Vox. So regardless, the Ouija board was indeed made and sold by Kennard alongside his business partner, Elijah Bond, which sounds like the Victorian James Bond. <laughs> the name's Bond. Elijah Bond. I talk to dead people. They were the sole sellers of the board talking boards were not unique to this in fact the first recorded talking board dates all the way back to china in 1100 ad wow so i mean pretty old there's also been instances of it popping up in rome and ancient greece so basically all over the world some methods of the talking board include putting a writing tool in the circle of the planchette and then it basically does free write-in, kind of a different way. So instead of having the letters already on the board, it creates letters for you. Mm. Uh, there's also automatic write-in. There's there's different ways to kind of do these and, and whatever. There's also dowsing, which can also be used. Kennard and Bond actually were the ones to create the arch of letters, the planchette and the word saying yes, no, and goodbye which made it unique, and that is actually a patent. Oh, wow. Patented. Patented? Patented. Patented? Patented? It's a patent, right? It's, it's a patent. It's patented. It's patented. Exactly. Patent. <laughs> Every episode, there's one word <gasps> that I struggle on. It's, a pa- it's patented. They have a patent for it. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they have a patent for it. So the name Ouija board... Some believe that it actually means yes, yes, because we is French for yes, and ya is German, but that's kind of a stretch. We ya. We ya. We ya. We ya. 
We y'all. Yes, yes, board. <laughs> if I were to say you want to play with a yes, yes board, you'd be like, yeah, what's up? And then you're like, Margo, this is not a yes, yes board. I'm like, yeah, just read it. Come on. We Don't you know? We yeah. <laughs> that sounds less threatening. <laughs> it does. <laughs> we yeah. We yeah. <laughs> Is that the, I can see an ad for it? It's just the planchette moving. We yeah. okay. We're making a lot of the spirits upset. So legend has it that Kennard and Bond were hanging out with Bond's sister-in-law named Helen, and Helen was actually a pretty strong medium at the time. Okay, Helen. I know, right? Uh, I feel like that's as common as <clears throat> people saying, like, oh, yeah, like, I have a pod. You know, it was just like, <laughs> I got a medium. Oh, yeah. Everyone has a medium these days. I know. Everyone's a medium. Everyone's a psychic or clairvoyant or whatever. So they were all hanging around and they were trying to think, hmm, what should we name it? And then Helen was like, you know, why don't we ask it? <laughs> so Helen asked, what are you called? And it spelled out Ouija or Ouija. Ouija. <laughs> and then she's like, pardon? What does that mean? And then it said, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't know either. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I sneezed and that's what. <laughs> Sorry, I was drunk. I don't know. I, that wasn't me. <laughs> I don't know if it was a demon being a smart ass and was like, oh, good luck. Right. <laughs> or it was malicious or if it was like, uh, like that was a typo. I uh, did not mean to say that. <laughs> there was another theory that they were trying to make it sound exotic. And they were, they thought, what if we say it's Egyptian for good luck? Mm. But it's like, that's not true. But the internet wasn't around. So it's not like you could check. It's like, oh my God, it's Egyptian. <laughs> but I mean, that's not true. And that didn't fly. So there's also something to note that... Helen was wearing a locket that contained a picture of a woman named Maria Louise Ramey, who was a writer, and she actually had a pen name that was Uda, which is spelled O-U-I-D-A. Oh. So they think it could have been a subconscious misspelling because she was a fan of it, but she wasn't mm -hmm. thinking about it. So Helen said that she was not thinking about the writer at the time but it's kind of close yeah that's interesting so that's interesting so a couple years later the family was actually torn apart by the board so the family found some of their precious items or civil war you know memorabilia went missing <gasps> so they're like we're gonna find out who did it and we're gonna ask the board and oh, no. <laughs> so they say you know spirits where did our where did our stuff go? And the board actually spelled out one of the family members, and half the family was like, <gasps> and the other family was like, no. And <gasps> Helen actually was like, you know, this board's a liar. Like, there, this board cannot be trusted. And she was so furious, and it was never determined who was spelled out. I tried to figure that out, but I couldn't. So they spelled out a family member, and apparently it tore the family apart because half the family was like, yes, that person oh my stole gosh. it. And half the family was like, no, like, this is fraudulent. So it caused a family feud, and some of them, like, didn't speak to each other after that. So That's so dramatic. It, it was basically the Victorian monopoly. It just tears family <laughs> apart. Um, 
So in the 1920s, the boards were everywhere. A lot of people had it. It was still very popular, but it did die out in popularity as people started living longer. And I guess there were other things coming out that kept you busy, like television or, you know, advances in technology, what have you. So if we skip ahead to 1966, at the height of the Vietnam War, it was purchased by the Parker Brothers, which was later to become Hasbro. Oh. So that year, the sales of the Ouija board actually outsold Monopoly. Oh my god! Isn't that crazy? It's weird that you could buy it at like a toy store. Yeah, you can literally, you, if you were to Google it right now, it'd be like, yeah, it's in the Target that's like 0.4 miles away. And I'm like, why? <laughs> or I f- remember I saw it for the first time at Toys R Us. I'm like, this is weird. Now, the thing is, the Ouija board wasn't necessarily associated with demons or evil spirits until 1973. And that's when the movie The Exorcist came out. And in the movie, the daughter, Reagan, plays with one and then she gets possessed by a demon. Wow. Which caused huge fear throughout and people in theaters actually were so horrified. Some of them passed out or threw up or they (gasps) would run in fear out of the theaters because this movie was like very scary. Uh, Yeah, I've never seen it to be fair. I mean, it's old, so, like, some of the graphics are outdated, but it it scared me, and it was very unsettling. Um, (laughs) To, like, pass out or throw up, though, in the movie theater. (laughs) Yeah. I I guess that happened with Jaws, too. Oh, my god. As well. I don't know. I I mean, I understand, but, wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's wild. I remember I told my dad, I'm like, it wasn't that scary, and he goes, are you kidding me? Like, this part and this part, and he's like, and then when she starts speaking in tongue, and I'm like... (laughs) I mean, like, the graphics weren't even that good. And he's like, what's from the 70s? <laughs> anyway, so that's actually why there are so many, literally so many horror movies about it. Because af- before then, it was kind of a way to communicate with people that you know or love. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's kind of been turned or have the perception of something malicious. Or it was also used, you know, back in the day. It was used by women to determine who their love would be. And what's really weird is before The Exorcist came out, it was kind of marketed to be a dating game, (laughs) according to an article from Grunge. Because think about it. Like, okay, like, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. You got a dark candlelit room. And you're sitting really close to each other, and sometimes you do something thrilling, like, you know, your hands are close to the planchette, and, like, maybe you're you're knee-to-knee, and you're doing something, like, I don't know, talking to Satan, like, ooh, (laughs) who knows what will happen? Oh, my God, we touched knees, and we talked to Satan. It was a great first date. I hope I see him again. (laughs) (laughs) The vibes of that are just incredible. I know. (laughs) And even in an episode of I Love Lucy, Lucy and Ethel had a seance. Comedians, like, in the 50s used it as a joke to, like, make fun of people. And, like, the seance was, like, ridiculous. And then there was a talk show host that, like, spelled out something, like, to insult one of the guests. Like, you're ugly. Like, you know. Uh So it was kind of seen as, like, a a silly thing until then. And then people got, like, a negative thing. (laughs) So... I actually looked up the science behind it, and if you're skeptical or if you're someone that, you know, needs a logical explanation for everything, then, you know, turn up the volume. So when you play, and like I said, we do not recommend you do, 
and we are not liable for anyone <laughs> that decides to do it <laughs> despite our warnings. So there's actually a sensation that makes you feel like it's being pulled or moved. This is called the idiomotor response. Is a psychological phenomenon where a subject makes motions unconsciously. It's called the idiomotor response and abbreviated to IMR, and it's a concept in hypnosis and psychological research. So essentially what happens is you are doing micromuscular movements that we may not even be aware that we are making, but when you are focusing on the planchette, you eventually make movements in accordance uh, to how you are imagining it moving. So a lot of it is subconscious or it shows like what you are kind of expecting it will see or kind of what you are subconsciously hoping. Wow. Um, and then in National Geographic, they did an experiment where they had a group play with the Ouija board and there was this one woman who was absolutely convinced. She's like, this is super compelling. Like, no one would have known, like, that answer. So the, they go, okay, now we're going to put blindfolds on everyone and play again and ask questions. And they had, you know, people say, okay, like, do you know your, like, an answer to this? Like, they asked, you know, what was the year that your grandpa passed away? And she's like, yeah, I know what it is. And then, like, the board would move and then someone would write down what it said. So... With blindfolds on, the board did not make any accurate statements. Oh, wow. At all. So even though everyone in the group were like, yes, this is like creepy, this is legit, with the blindfolds on, it literally spelled out like JK and then a bunch of nothing. Oh. Like it was missing like letters and numbers. Wow. In 2014, the University of British Columbia researchers we're looking to gain more insight on subconscious intelligence. So they actually used a Ouija board to test subconscious knowledge by blindfolding test subjects, and they asked yes or no questions. So it turns out that two out of three times the test subjects got the questions correct or they answered it correctly, even if they said they had no idea what the answer was, whereas people that didn't have the Ouija board with the questions, they were more, they were less likely to get it right. So they believe that the movements are subconscious and it's moved by the players, yet they don't feel the responsibility of it. And the project has nothing to do with ghosts, but the players are actually making it move. So they kind of came to the conclusion that the main researcher found that if you know, I were to ask you a question, you had no idea, like, what is the capital of Zimbabwe? Yeah, I have no idea. Right, I don't either. You may have heard it somewhere, and now it's in your subconscious mind, and then you might manifest an answer because oh. it's buried deep within yeah. you, so you might be able to, like, pull it even if you're not pulling from your subconscious mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Brains are so weird. Brains are so weird. So the conscious mind, you know, was believed that it was it. Like, we only have our subconscious mind, like, to gain power or knowledge from. But now they're kind of trying to dive deeper into, you know, the second intelligence. I mean, they're still doing research on it. This was kind of the first step or kind of, I guess, the breakthrough. And I haven't seen any additional updates since then. But it was said that 
like I said, the test subjects did better with the Ouija on questions they didn't think they knew than without. So they're trying to test if this will have an effect on things like Alzheimer's. If people start to lose their memory, they remember long-term things. So if you don't remember what you did last week, but you can still remember how to play a piano, they wonder mm-hmm. if like that's tied with things. So it's interesting. More things are coming out there, but I hope none of the people got possessed after that experiment. <laughs> they probably had to sign a statement that was like, we are not responsible for any attachments. Right. We just want to know Zimbabwe. If I were to bring a Ouija board to an exam, do you think that would be like considered cheating? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, what? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> so like we have said many times on many different episodes, we do not recommend playing with a Ouija board. No. But if you so choose, we are A, not responsible, B, you are at your own risk, and C, here are some rules that you need to follow if you do just because I feel liable now. This is actually the description of the Ouija board on Hasbro's site. It's recommended playing age is eight or older. (laughs) Please, what? I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't give this to your children. Come on. (laughs) The game board, planchette, and instructions are included. And this is the description. It's only a game. Or is it? (sighs) Enter the world of the mysterious and mystifying with the Ouija board. You've got questions and the spirit world has answers. And the uncanny Ouija board is your way to get to them. What did you want to know? Ask your questions with a friend using the planchette that comes with the board. But be patient and concentrate because the spirits can't be rushed. Handle the Ouija board with respect and it won't disappoint you. That's really vague. It's very vague. These are not rules that are on Hasbro, but I was looking, I went through a lot of rabbit holes from different websites. So this is what I've concluded to be common themes. Do not play alone. Two people is ideal. Three people is typically best. But if you do more than that, it could overwhelm the spirits. Mm. Do not play with just one because it could be more likely to attach Great. Because it's just one. If you do two, it's okay. But three people, it's kind of like, I guess, I don't know. That was like the magic number. It's also best to assign one person to ask the questions to also not overwhelm spirits. Because if questions keep getting thrown by multiple people, I guess that can be a lot. And then one person is to write down the letters as it goes in case like there's a misspelling or it's just easier to understand. It's best to be in a dark, quiet place. You can set the mood with candles, and it's a bonus if it's on a dark or stormy night. It's not recommended to use your bedroom because you might get nightmares, or you might feel like someone is watching you while you sleep. Great. Don't like that. Make sure that there are no distractions like the TV, and make sure your phones are off or on silent. Do not use it in a graveyard. Just don't. Absolutely not, because there are too many spirits there. Be polite. Don't be a dick. Ask the spirit to introduce itself. Like, if you were to meet someone for the first time, you wouldn't just say, how am I going to die? Like, no. Right. You know, you want to you wanna be polite. Don't ask for physical signs or proof that it is real. Don't ask silly questions to doubt the intelligence. Do not ask about God, money, or death. 
Develop an open-end ritual, ritual such as a prayer, a welcome speech, or a statement of positive intention. Make sure you concentrate. Don't believe everything you hear, but also be careful of what you ask. Make sure you watch it move, and make sure after the sessions you close the board and have it say goodbye. If the board... Okay, so here's a couple of things to look out for. If the board starts doing figure eights, if it starts to move along the edges and hits all four corners, if it starts going back from Z to A or 9 to 0, end the session immediately because that is a sign of a malevolent spirit. Okay. You need to finish by saying goodbye and make sure the planchette moves to goodbye. If you ask who you are, you are speaking to and the name Zozo oh God. comes up, oh my you, God. you end the game immediately. He is not – just not don't do friend. it. Just don't do it. Do not leave the planchette on the board when you are done. Don't use if you have depression or other mental illness like anxiety or addiction. Don't use it if you are tired, sad, or mad. Trust your gut if you don't like the vibe. Sage after you're done. If you are having problems after a session has been closed, don't burn it because that can cause more trouble. Instead, store the planchette and the board away from each other. It has also been said to tear the board into seven pieces and to cover it in holy water. Also, it's recommended not to play with the same board more than once because it conducts more energy. Are you supposed to buy a new one every time? Okay, it. That was a criticism, and it said, well, you can make one with, like, paper and, like, use a, a glass cup. Oh. So you don't have to buy, like, a fancy one each okay. time. But Or I guess, like, you know, let it rest. Mm. Let the potato rest. <laughs> um, I like to use my Ouija board as a cutting board, and that's how I make soul food. <laughs> Why was the landlord mad after playing with a Ouija board? Why? They realized how many people were in the building who didn't pay rent. Oh, so there is a, one thing I will end on is there's a, actually a common experience around the world of people getting in contact with the spirit Zozo, which is no matter where in the world, like there are stories of this, which has been known for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's been in many books and stuff, or I guess they, I shouldn't assume gender. But Zozo is known as the Ouija board demon, and they answer questions that only you would know. So in order to gain your trust, that's a story for one of the paranormal days. But in summary, be polite and don't do it. I mean, first of all, but if you get someone you're talking to named Zozo, like, just end it. Just stop. Okay, yeah. that's all. Should we tell them the story of our experience? Sure. So um, the reason I don't like Ouija boards <laughs> so much is because when Mitch, Elizabeth, and I were in high school or were we in yeah, college? Yeah, Mitch is our friend. Mitch is our one of our best friends. Bestie. So we were at Mitch's house and we were in his basement and we decided to play with a Ouija board. And we were like about to be seniors in high school, I think. Mm. We, we thought we were on top of the world and we were. We were life was good. Anyway, we're playing with this Ouija board, and we start talking to this one spirit. Don't remember what his name was. I think it was Michael or something like that. Mm. Or Brian. I don't know. Man. I don't remember. 
But anyway, he had passed away and we were learning that he was a dentist. And then we found out that he had a wife named Charlotte. Now, I had my phone on the voice recorder. And when we found out that the name was Charlotte, all of us go, wow, that's a great name. I love that name. And on the recording, clear as day, you hear, thanks. Like, we can't make this up. And then you hear us say in the recording, oh my God, it just got so cold. Yeah. And I don't remember what phone I had it on. And I've been, and every time I go home, I forget to like try to find my old phone. But oh my God, it was the scariest thing. And, and ever since then, I haven't felt right. Like, I don't think the ghost was malicious, but I just haven't felt. Mm. I just always feel like someone's watching me. Oh, like always? Yeah. Oh. Or every now and again, I just get like sudden like, oh. Oh, is that it? Or like, is, is that like the extent of it? Just like you feeling like someone's watching you? Like every now and again, I'll just get sudden like panics. Oh, wow. And then when I got home that night, actually, I was so scared that I literally had to take my desk lamp and shine the bright light on me because I was so oh. scared. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So we don't like Ouija, Ouija boards. No, I definitely don't. But don't recommend. Don't recommend. Anyway, that's our story. That's wow. our listener That was episode. interesting. Yeah. Again, yeah. not really a traditional classroom. Yeah. But. I learned something today. Uh, well, my mission accomplished. But seriously, kids, don't play with it. Don't do it. You don't know who you're talking to on the other end. It's like mm -hmm. a, a chat room, but scarier. Like Omegle. Scary Omegle. Don't do Omegle either, though. There are strangers on there. What? Omegle. I don't know what that is. What? What is that? I can show you after. Okay. It's like one of those anonymous chat rooms, like chat roulette, but without oh. video. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Did I ever tell you the weirdest like experience I've had? Is one time I was in college and I was still living at my parents' house because I went to a community college and I was laying in bed and I swear to God, I felt like someone was behind me and I felt like someone was spooning me. Oh my God. And like I was paralyzed. I could not move, but like I swear to God. And I told my mom the next day and she's like, I don't like that. I'm like, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It was literally terrifying. Oh my God. And then I fell asleep. That's horrible. Because I didn't want to turn around. Oh, my God. Anyway. Could it have been, like, sleep paralysis? I think it was. Probably. I mean, that's the most logical thing I have. Because still, though. That's still, terrifying. Sleep paralysis is terrifying. Yeah. Ready for history class? Oh, you know it. History of magic, right? Professor <laughs> Binns? Um, sure. Okay. Could be muggle studies, maybe. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. We'll see. Okay. What comes to your mind when you think of spies? Uh, James Bond, mm -hmm. uh, the CIA, mm -hmm. um, Born on the Man, um, <laughs> Men in Black. That's not the same thing. What do I think? Well, spy Kids. Oh, um, so good. I think of like all those like spy packs you could buy at the toy store where it's like you have the watch <laughs> and the glasses. We got one of those for our intern at work <laughs> because... She went to school and for like international security or something. No, oh, yeah. She's gonna be a spy. That's cool. Yeah. I would be so bad at that. I'd be like, you'll never guess what happened at work today. <laughs> Me too. Oh my god, no. What exactly. else do I think of when I think of spies? Spies, 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 spies. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
um, um, secrets and the government and mm-hmm. CIA. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Did I get it? Almost. Like you mentioned the CIA and I, I, this is not the CIA about the CIA, but I decided earlier today that I'm going to do a bunch of things on the CIA because I saw a tweet that was like, um, people will think you're a conspiracy theorist when you like say things that the CIA has actually done. And there, there are all these comments about like really wild stuff the CIA has done. So okay. that's a story for another day. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I'm already on so many lists based on my search history. Like one time I spent three hours on the FBI website looking up facts about murderers. And I was just like, hmm. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, it's interesting they have that, like, information on the FBI website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they did a big study about serial killers. Who do you think was the greatest spy master in American history? John F. Kennedy. Uh, no. Oh. Um, Obama. Wait. No. Um, an alien. <laughs> well, <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> um, who do I think further, was the greatest Further spy? back. Uh, oh, oh, Harriet Tubman. Oh, gosh. That, you know what? Like, honestly, probably. Yeah. But that's not... Oh, so, okay, okay. So, I'm going <laughs> to edit this and say one of the most maybe prolific spy masters, maybe not the greatest, because okay. Harriet was pretty dang good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Before that. Um, so. Wait, before that? Yeah. Oh. Um, King George. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no. Uh, opposite. Wait. Wait. Oh, wasn't it... Um. Um. Like Hercules Mulligan? No. Um, US- Lafayette? No. Oh, so close. Oh, oh. His friend. Oh, God. Burr. No. Wait. I'm going through Hamilton. But no, the, the, main, the, the main dude. Our, our Alexander main dude. Hamilton? No, no. No. <laughs> George Washington? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My God. <laughs> we, we got there. We got there. <laughs> I'm bad at this. <laughs> it's okay. You got it. You got it. Agent one. He's actually seven one one. Oh, seven eleven. Um, Slushies. Was his code name Slurpee? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. They, those weren't. But nothing. a Slurpee would blow <laughs> their minds. <laughs> their teeth would just fall out. <laughs> what is this? How is this keeping frozen? I I only see snow in the winter. What is this color? This is not what a cherry tastes like. Oh yeah, no. What is a blue raspberry? Witchcraft. (laughs) Right. This is witchcraft. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to thank Kirsten for this idea. I didn't know about this until she told me about it, and then I went down a rabbit hole. As as all of our stories start. Yes. So thank you. All right. So it's the 1770s. Okay. In what was then the American colonies. The US was rebelling against British rule because they wanted to be independent, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what was going on 1776, the Continental Army, so the Army of the Colonies, mm-hmm. lost the Battle of Long Island to the British. And so the British controlled new york city and long island and they were hanging out doing whatever british people did drink Drink tea tea. (laughs) (laughs) wear funny wigs but george washington did that too um etc they needed a way the continental army aka george washington and his friends 
needed a way to get information out of New York and find out what the British were doing, where they were, what their plans were. Paul Revere. Um, yeah, but not no. quite. Okay. So George Washington asked this guy named Benjamin Talmadge to create a spy ring in 1778. Benjamin Talmadge knew that he could only recruit people who he knew he could trust like a hundred percent because otherwise it would all be for nothing right and so he was like you know my favorite people are my friends (laughs) and he grew up on long island in an area called i might be pronouncing this wrong satauket and that's benjamin um or yeah this guy benjamin thomas mm-hmm and so he found his friends there. There was this guy named Abraham Woodhall, who was a farmer, mm. and his code name was Samuel Culper Sr. That's some cold name. <laughs> yeah. There was a guy named Caleb Brewster, who had a whaleboat. A whaleboat? Yep. Moby Dick. Exactly. <laughs> there was a guy named Austin Rowe, who had a pub. But not a rowboat. No. <laughs> no. He had a pub. Not a rowboat. I'd hang with him. And he would go in and out of New York to get supplies for his pub. Nice. And then there was a guy named Robert Townsend, who his name, his codename was Samuel Culper Jr. He was a merchant in New York City. So this is the story of the Culper Ring. That's cool. I've never heard of this. Yeah. The name Culper was suggested by Washington named after Culpeper County, Virginia. I don't know the significance of this county. Mm. Sorry. It's okay. I could Google it, but it doesn't really it's matter that much. It's more fun to have it be up for interpretation. Yeah, it's a mystery. Ooh. Ooh, spies. Yeah. So here's kind of some background on spies at this point in the colonies. When George Washington was first starting out as the leader of the Continental Army, he knew they needed some sort of intelligence operation. And so he hired this guy to be a spy. This guy's name was Nathan Hale, and he was the first spy in the U.S. He was only 20 years old. Wow. He was a soldier in the Continental Army. I want to say he was a school teacher. I God, don't so remember. accomplished at 20. Uh, yeah, and he volunteered basically to be a spy and to spy on the British. Okay. However, he was not very good at this. Oh. And he was caught. Oh, dear. And hanged. <gasps> Sad. Unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah. Ripperoni. And uh, it's said that his last words were, Quote, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Oh. But no one really knows if he said that. Right. So that's like the Marie Antoinette with the meat cake. Exactly. And Washington was like, well, shoot. Oh, heck. Um, (laughs) He's like, we need better spies. (laughs) We need someone who won't get caught and hanged. And. So he, his idea was that instead of using soldiers, they would use civilians. Oh. Because who would suspect a civilian? It's just little old me with my baskets. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nothing to see here. They talked like that, too. (laughs) I've never Uh, said I was a historian. (laughs) I actually have no idea what they talked like. What was the dialect? Were they, like, kind of British? Were they, were they, like, Southern? I have no idea. Literally no idea. But... I, this is, like, kind of unrelated, um, but I read that, like, 
British people at the time when they were first colonizing North America, like in the 1500s and stuff, their British accents didn't sound like British accents today. Like Shakespeare's accent sounded like someone from Appalachia. What's Appalachia? Like in West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Oh. Okay. So Washington had a contact named William Durr, and he recommended... Um, he he brought Washington in touch with this guy named Nathaniel Sackett, and then he was like, oh, I can recommend you this guy, Benjamin Talmadge. So it was like a mutual friend sort of thing, and Benjamin was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, I'll I'll do that for you, sir. And like I said, their main goal was to figure out where the British were, where they were going, what their plans were, and where they stored their ammo, because that was really important. Of course. Can't fight a war without ammo. The main way this would work is that Robert Townsend, a.k.a. Culper Jr., would be in Manhattan because he was a merchant in New York. Mm. And there were operatives in New York behind enemy lines, and they would give him this intelligence. And so then he would give, it was in like documents and letters and stuff. And he would give this to Austin Rowe, the guy who had a pub, who would go back and forth from New York to get stuff for his pub. And so then Austin Rowe would take it to Setauket on Long Island. And that is where Abraham Woodhull, Culper Sr., the farmer, he would kind of look through all the info and decide like what was the most important. And then he would give those to Caleb Brewster, the guy with the whaleboat. And he would row across Long Island Sound, and he had to be, like, really careful because the British were, like, hanging out in the water. They were everywhere. They were with the whales. Exactly. They were the whales. (laughs) The whales were on their side. (laughs) So it was very risky. Mm. And he would row across to Connecticut, where the Continental Army was hanging out. I feel like that would be so exhausting. I know, it was like something like 110 miles over land and then like 90 miles or something through the water. I could be wrong on that one. Jesus. But it was a very long way and they didn't have cars. They well, they also had... didn't have much else to do. It's like, fine. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> just to go run that out. That's true. They had horses and whaleboats. Whaleboats. And so he would give the info to whoever was stationed there in Connecticut and then they would ride on horseback and give it directly to George Washington. Everyone involved were volunteers. And one thing I think is really interesting is that no one knew who the other people were. Oh. Um, And so if someone was caught, they couldn't spill secrets because they just didn't know. It's like a cult. Exactly. They had a few different methods of keeping intelligence secret in case it was intercepted. Benjamin Talmadge, the guy who created the ring, also created this cipher called the Culper Code. Mm. And they assigned numbers to verbs, nouns, people, and places. So they were, I think they were all three-digit numbers. And there were only four copies of the code book, and they were given to Washington, Talmadge, and I think maybe Culper Sr., and I don't remember the other person, Culper Jr. maybe. <laughs> but the, the higher-ups had the code, but no one else had it and without it you really couldn't crack it at all because it was very specific got it and so that's how they would write these letters 
And um, yeah, that's why Washington was Agent 7-Eleven. Thank heaven. They also used invisible ink. Oh, how did you do that back then? Well, okay. So at the time, the standard method was to use a citrus like lemon and lime juice. Mm. And it would become visible by heating it up. So, like the, like, wait, yep, National Treasure. Like National Treasure, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Look at you go, jo- wait a minute, what if it was real? That would be fascinating. Nicholas Cage? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so sorry. they would, exactly like when he steals the Declaration of Independence <laughs> and there's a code on the back, but they would exactly use. Exactly that, okay. But George Washington and his comrades, I guess, they knew that this was easily intercepted because everyone kind of knew how that worked. <laughs> So he asked his friend, Dr. James J., to create a new kind of invisible ink, which they called a sympathetic stain. And it was, I don't really understand how it works. They used something called gallic acid to write, and then they would paint over it with um, something called ferrous sulfate, and it basically made the words appear. Hmm. It, it's i don't know i don't understand it but it worked really well i don't well. know how they figured that out back then i also have no idea cool neat they did yeah. it the fbi and the cia still use invisible ink based on these methods wow yeah they've had so much time to figure out something else but it's okay <laughs> they also used sometimes white ink mm. um and the way they would do it is they would write a letter with normal ink and then write in between the lines i see so that's where read between the lines comes from. There you go. Never knew. Yeah. They also found different ways of getting information out via codes. There is one agent named Agent 355, and they are not sure if she actually existed or not, but 355 was the code for a lady, and they refer to her in a letter And one theory is that it was a woman named Anna Strong. She had property where from the backyard she could see the Long Island Sound and see if Caleb Brewster, the guy with the whaleboat, was coming in or not. So she Mm -hmm. knew where she was or where he was. And to let them know, like, when he had arrived, she would hang, if he was in town, she would hang a black petticoat on her laundry line. Mm -hmm. And then he would come in every time in a different cove, and she, based on the number of handkerchiefs she hung on the laundry line, they would know which one he was oh, at. Oh, smart. So, and no one would ever suspect her because she was just a woman. She was just a doing woman. Doing laundry. And what did, they had no rights back then. Right. Everyone, did, no one thought that they were like, yeah, capable of things like that. So. Just making babies and doing laundry, you know? Exactly. Work to her advantage. But this story is actually kind of a myth because it's never supported in any of the letters that were found or anything. So who knows? Who knows? Um, There's another theory about who 355 was, but I'll explain that in a minute. There was also this guy named Rivington. (laughs) Rivington? (laughs) Well, it was his last name. I forget his first name. That's okay. But he owned a newspaper called Rivington's Royal Gazette. Okay. And it was... He lived in New York. He was it was a pro-British newspaper. He would put secret info in the newspaper, like somehow in the articles, and then the culprit would like buy the newspaper and read the articles and be able to decipher what he was saying. So it was hidden in plain sight. Hmm. Uh, in 1780, the French were coming to help us hmm. because they were our friends. Bonjour. <laughs> yeah. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Exactly. With. Monsieur Lafayette and all the rest. Je m'appelle Lafayette. Yes. 
Um, so they were sailing over here because they're like, yeah, we got we got to like kick British butt. Right? Yeah. But the British knew they were coming, and so they were preparing to attack. The okay, French they were putting their war paint on. Yeah, they're like, okay, they're coming. Like, we need to get them. The British are um, coming. Yeah. Well, in this case, the French are coming. Bonjour. Bonjour. So Culper Jr. somehow got the intelligence that the British were preparing to attack the oncoming French. And they were able to send a bunch of letters to um, people they knew were British spies that said that Washington is going to attack New York City. Mm. And so, and that was like, that was a red herring. It was false information. Ah. And so the head of the British army was like, like, oh, like, no, like, we can't attack the French right now. We have to go save New York. <laughs> and so he took the, the entire army and, like, brought them to New York to try and fight uh, the Continental Army. But they weren't there. Aww. And so then the French got to, they slipped in. Ha-ha. And so that's due to the copper ring. Oh, is was that this? Uh, it's actually next weekend. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh shoot! Oh darn! I didn't see you there. <laughs> One other thing that the copper ring helped foil was: Have you heard of Benedict Arnold? Wait, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, it's not coming so, to me. It's not in my subconscious. <laughs> I need the Ouija board. And no, I, I know you've heard it before. So one of the most important points in the area was the Hudson River and West Point. And whoever controlled this area would control all the supply lines for the Continental Army. So if the British got control of West Point and the Hudson River, then they could cut off the army from their supplies and that would be really bad. Mm. So it was a very important spot. I don't know how they did this, but somehow there was a giant chain across the river. Oh, Okay. Stopping boats from going across. Okay. And the only way you could get across was if you got explicit permission from the head commander at West Point, who was named Benedict Arnold. Okay. Okay. And, but Benedict Arnold was really pissed because he was owed a bunch of back pay. Mm. Like, and he just, like, yeah, he was really mad about it. Well, yeah, he's probably like, um, I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be mad too, but he didn't handle it very well because he decided that the solution was to sell West Point to the British. Oh, rude. For, petty. For 20,000 pounds. That's so petty. And it makes it even worse because he was one of George Washington's really close friends. <sighs> so he really was it worth it? stabbed like him in the back here. Our friendship is ruined. And like, yeah. I can see it just ripped in the burn book. <laughs> like, do you yeah. not trust him? I know. Et tu, Brute. Yeah. So his plan was that he would get Washington, Lafayette, and all of the important generals to West Point and then tip off the British that they were there and then help them to cross the river, move the chain or whatever they had to do. I don't know. And then um, the British would attack the fort when everyone was there and he would be like, Try to defend them, but, like, not really. Sure. Like, pretend to, like, kind oh, of. Like, okay. oh, oh, no. Oh, I missed. Um, and then he would surrender along with Washington and Lafayette, and the war would be over. Hmm. However, the Culper Ring figured this out, that this was his plan. And because they intercepted some of his messages to the British Army. He was in contact with this guy, the head of British intelligence named John Andre. And when John Andre was 
on his way back from hanging out, I guess, with Benedict Arnold, he was captured by muggers on the street. I thought you said muggles. And oh. I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Well, yeah. Muggers. But they were like, oh, man, like, who is this dude? Like, we we can't steal anything from him. So they were going to bring him um, somewhere to, like, see if he was someone important so they could get money for him. And they were going to give him to Benedict Arnold. But Benjamin Talmadge heard about this and he was like, no, 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 like that can't happen. Like, like we need this dude instead. So Talmadge got him, he captured him and John Andre confessed that he was a spy, a British spy and gave him all these documents that he had. And then Benjamin Talmadge sent all these documents to West Point where Benedict Arnold was and Benedict Arnold saw them and was like, oh, my God, like, I've been had, like, they know about me. And so he freaked out and he just, like, ran down and asked his guards to take him to the nearest British ship. And he left. He got to New York City and they asked him to go after the Culper Ring. And so he, like, went on a rampage and tried to, I guess, kill them. I don't know. I don't know. He got a few of them, but then they all went into hiding. Hmm. And it's said that it's the only time people ever saw George Washington cry. Oh, baby. Yeah, because he was one of his best friends. And so Benedict Arnold, like, if you if you call someone a Benedict Arnold, it means they, like, betrayed you. Oh. It's like his name Ooh. becomes it's synonymous with betrayal. Well, he, I mean, he was a traitor, you know? He was. He sucked. You don't do that to our Georgie Porgy. Uh, like, you <laughs> what? The audacity. Uh, yeah. I mean, George wasn't like a great person, but well, no one deserves, you know. I'm more mad about it because he almost ended the war. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be a British colony. Sorry. Could you imagine? That would be so different. We'd be like Canada. Well, we might have universal health care, so who oh. knows? <laughs> Well, I, who knows? Who, who knows, knows what would have happened? I don't know. In a parallel universe, I guess. Yeah, maybe. That would mm. be an interesting TV show. Mm. I think about that a lot. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So one of the other theories about Agent 355 is that she could have been another woman in the ring, not Anna Strong. And she could have been Benedict Arnold's girlfriend. Ooh. Because she could have stopped Benedict Arnold by intercepting his letters in, uh, or sorry, not Benedict Arnold's girlfriend, John Andre, the British intelligence officer, his girlfriend. Oh, okay. So she would have gone snooping in his office, found his letters, passed them on. Apparently, John Andre was always trying to like find some higher class woman to marry mm. while he was there. Had a lot of girlfriends, mm. and um, apparently, right after 355 is first mentioned in some letters from the Culver Ring, they start getting really good information. Oh, so that they think it's maybe someone on the inside, and she could have been the one to find out about Benedict Arnold. Mm. And there's a theory that if this did happen, that she was captured and died in prison. Oh, which sucks, but that does suck. But Ripperoni. she saved the the colonies there hmm. the interesting thing is is that no one knew that the culper ring existed until the 1930s whoa yeah wow when, when letters were found about the ring so Where? um <laughs> so robert townsend the culper jr he his house i guess is still there and 
they found a trunk in the attic filled with documents. Spooky. I know, right? And this was in 1929. It was in his home. And um, so old. There was a local Long Island historian named Morton Pennypacker. Morton. <laughs> that sounds like an insult. <laughs> I know. You're such a penny packer. Very, only in the 1930s could you have that name. Right. No other time. No other time. No. No. So they found these letters and he noticed that the handwriting looked really familiar to some letters that were in a collection from George Washington that were written by someone named Samuel Culper Jr. Mm. And they compared the handwriting and found that it was a match. They were the same. It's a match. And they were like, okay, so Robert Townsend is Samuel Culper. And then they, um, they... from there, they extrapolated, <laughs> you know, they found more letters. Yeah. There are around 190 Culper letters wow. that they found. But other members of the ring, such as, his name was James, James Rivington, the guy who had the newspaper, he was only confirmed to be a member in the 1950s. Okay. So the CIA was modeled after the Culper ring. Really? Yeah. And, uh, and its predecessor, I think it was called the OSS, but I don't remember what that stood for. Orange Sherbert Sunday. Exactly. That's probably it. <laughs> I think so. One quote I'll end on is one British general said that Washington did not beat us militarily. He simply outspied us. And that's the story of the Culper Ring. One last point I want to make is that there are some who believe that the Culper Ring still exists. Ooh. Probably. And... Yeah, so but no one really knows. That's that. I got most of that info from a BBC documentary and from Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel. That's pretty cool. Oh my god. See, like George Washington, look at you go. He just Yeah, it was did it really all. effective. Yeah. He did a good job. Yeah. Apparently he was like really, really tall. Really? Like in real life. Let me see how <laughs> How tall or are you gonna? Watch? Are you gonna swipe like right? Relative? <laughs> um, no, he was six two. Wow. Yeah, he was really tall. Abe was six four. So you know, a well. founding father stood tall, and they would pass <laughs> your first vet. Oh, there's a whole Wikipedia page on the heights of presidents and presidential candidates of the United States. Ooh. There's a bar graph. Can okay. So who's the tallest? Who's the shortest? Oh. Interesting. Abe Lincoln was the tallest. Someone has a lot of time on their hands, let me tell you. Presidents have grown taller over time, um, probably because people are taller today than they were. Are they really? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because we have like better nutrition. Well, we're also fatter. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with height. Right, but like, you know, we've, we've gone both ways, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. The shortest was James Madison. He was 5'4". John Adams was 5'7". Ulysses S. Grant was 5'8". John F. Kennedy was 6'1". Hmm. Really? I always thought he was shorter. I don't know why. Yeah, me too. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, there you have it. Well, there it is. I definitely learned something. I had no idea. Thanks, Kirsten. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for Apparently, sure. Apparently, there's a book, a really good book on it, and I think there's a TV series. Oh. But you'd have to look that up because I don't know. I don't oh. remember. That's that. It's all good. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 42. Thank you. As always, we would like to thank the artists that have helped us. Our music is composed by Colin Whitlish, and music production is by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. Would you like to tell them where they can find us? 
You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and email us to send us suggestions for future topics or to submit a listener report because we'd like to do a listener episode featuring your stories. So send us an email at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. Subject line, listener report. Yes. Poor Fabor. Please tune in next week for another true crime tale. We really appreciate all of you tuning in. It really means the world to us. Thank you so much. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps our show. Tell your friends, tell your families, hide your children, hide your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your coworkers, tell your landlord. Yep. Um, Make sure he doesn't play with the Ouija board, though. mm -mm. He'll get upset. Tell your pets. Yeah. Stay sleepy. Good night.